Hey, Razorback fans, welcome to the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson. We're from hogbeat.com, the Arkansas site and the Rivals Network. It is Thursday. Uh, the Razorbacks are prepping to face Texas A&M this weekend. And also the Diamond Hogs are set to kick off their season, which is amazing. It's finally here. Uh, hopefully, there's a lot of drama right now involving that uh, State Farm college baseball showcase down in Arlington due to the uh, weather conditions, but we will get to that in a bit. Uh, Hutch, I was in the building for the Razorbacks win over Florida the other day. You were watching from home overall an incredible win where the Razorbacks led almost the entire time. They did uh, let it get close there. And I, I must've missed this during the game, but apparently Florida even took the lead by one at some point. I don't know how I missed it, but yeah, they, they took it right back and then finished with a nice cushy lead uh, that makes the final score a little bit more deceiving than what it actually was there in the final few minutes. I mean, really, the final score ended up being indicative of how well Arkansas played and how much they, um, you know, probably should have won the game by. It should have been a lot more comfortable than it was. But, you know, Arkansas did lose the lead there for a minute. You know, it looked like Appleby was going to be the, the hero, Tyree Appleby, the Jacksonville kid that plays for Florida. Um, but uh, turns out Arkansas's Jacksonville kid just made a, you know, one more play than him. And, and Devo Davis went uh, – almost coast to coast, grabbed a, a pass a little beyond half court and took it, made a tough layup, and, and Arkansas was uh, never looked back from that point on. It is incredible. The Razorbacks are now 17-5, and 9-4 and four in SEC play, second in the conference behind Alabama. The turnaround this team has seen over the past month, month and a half, has just been incredible to watch and it gives you so much hope for the next month that's to come I mean I feel like this was somewhat expected not not quite as dramatic of a you know if you so told bad. someone now or some, if you told someone a month ago what their record was now they probably wouldn't believe you because they were playing really bad at some points I would I would say I would be surprised you know but I would also say I could see it just because of the way the schedule was laid out. I mean, they had, they, they probably had the toughest schedule in the conference to start out conference play. I mean, you having to go to Auburn, uh, you had to go to Alabama and LSU, you had to go to Tennessee, you, you got Missouri at home. Those are really tough teams and they were all playing very, very well at the time of those games. So uh, for, for Arkansas to start two and four, I didn't think it was going to be quite that bad, uh, but I did think it was going to be a little bit of a slow start. And then I thought that the middle part of the schedule was where Arkansas could really, you know, if they took care of business, that they, they could do it. Now, did I expect a seven-game SEC winning streak? No, because we've only seen that two other times in, in Arkansas history since they joined the conference. So, uh, it's been a little bit more dramatic of a, of a turnaround than I maybe anticipated, but uh, nine and four, that, that's pretty good. I, that, that's a, uh, a good mark. And, and I'm not going to sit here and say I expected that, but I'm, I'm not too terribly surprised by it. Arkansas has also benefited from some other teams in the conference, like Missouri dropping a few games in a row uh, that at the same time, it's, it's just, 
it's given Arkansas a really nice case nationally. A lot of people are paying attention to them now, and they're getting hot right at a good time. And then, of course, they get to welcome – or are they on the road at Alabama? I'm not sure, but they play – no, they play, yeah, at they home. Get, they get Alabama and LSU at home next right. week. So. so that's really nice for them that at least it, it gets to be at home, not that there is much of a, a home court advantage. When I was in the building the other night, it was weird. Being being in uh, Bud Walton with that few of fans, it is very strange. Like people were trying to get hog calls started, and it would be like a very few people on the first one, and then they'd get into it. it it's just strange, but it was impressive actually how many people were there given the weather conditions the other night. Yeah, I was a little worried about that. That that you know already it's a reduced crowd, um, but. I was worried that there were going to be some fans that weren't able to, to make it out or they didn't want to risk it because I know that, that second system was moving through that night. Uh, I, I was a little bit surprised and thankful uh, that they were able to get the game in. And I know Eric Mussman was as well. So uh, thank goodness that they were able to get that game in because not everyone else was, was as lucky. You know, when you're not battling COVID, uh, you've got this historic weather, uh, winter weather storm that caused, you know, I think like four women's basketball games and like three men's basketball games. Uh, to get postponed, including Texas A&M, which has now had five straight games postponed because of, you know, COVID and then the weather. Yeah, uh, Texas A&M, that is going to be a very interesting game. Hopefully it happens. Uh, I, I've made the joke several times. I don't know why A&M is still playing. Like, they're not going to be able to qualify for, I mean, I guess – they get to qualify for the tournament. Although if you're all the way down there, does every team play or is it only like the top 10? Every team makes the uh, well, SEC then. tournament. Now, I mean, you are probably, they're going to be stuck playing on what we call Wednesday night sadness, whenever yeah. the bottom four teams are playing. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're going to, so they technically are still alive for March Madness. They could technically make a run in get Nashville. Get the SEC bid. The and get the automatic bid. bid. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's right. possible. Now it's highly unlikely. <laughs> Texas A&M seems to me like a team that's going to get better over time. Like, I think their their stint here at the bottom is is brief. They just signed, like, a five-star and a four-star in, in their latest class. So, I think it's brief for them. What Who's that coach? Bill, Buzz Williams? I yeah, really Buzz. liked him last season when we talked to him um, in, in the press conference. So, uh, I I hope they pick it up at least a little bit. I think it would be good for the league. You know, I mean, Texas yes. I remember when A&M was in the Big 12 and they were, you know, really competitive. I remember, you know, AC Law and guys like that. I mean, they were they were a fun team to watch. So uh, hopefully, you know, they can be good. You know, I know people don't like hearing this, but if Kentucky could be good, you know, Florida, I mean, Arkansas, I mean, that that's good for the league uh, when when the, you know, the heavyweights are, are probably better than what they are. You know, Arkansas is holding up its end of the stick. So uh that that that's good for the league because I think most people kind of view the SEC as kind of a a down league and I mean it's definitely not to the level it is in football or baseball or women's basketball uh but it is a a quality league but people maybe don't view it as such since it's Alabama that's leading the league uh, as we talk right now with so many big 12 schools in, in Texas I feel like it's it's good to have an SEC program there uh, just to get 
you know, it's a really big basketball state. So the more people you have watching SEC basketball, I think the better it is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a it's a good little foothold. I mean, we saw, you know, we talked about it a lot whenever they join in terms of football. You know, you get a, an SEC team in Texas, and now everybody's recruiting Texas. And I think it's the same way for, uh, you know, uh, basketball and, and baseball even. You know, it's uh, we've talked to Dave Van Horn before, and he's talked about how, how much tougher it is now to recruit you know, that area, because used to, they could go down into Houston and say, hey, do you want to play in the SEC? Come play at Arkansas. Well, now they're like, oh, I could also go to Texas A&M and be a lot closer to home. So uh, it is it is interesting, you know, the, the dynamics it creates by having a team in Texas. Uh, but I think overall, it helps the health of the league. The Razorbacks are now inside Joe Lunardi's 80% chance of making it into the tournament. So that Florida game, it really was major in terms of just kind of solidifying. I know last week you, you gave me some hard time about saying that they were definitely in. Well, now it seems unless there's a crash and burn situation, it seems like they're locked in for March. Yeah, I mean, they, they have to win the games that they're supposed to win. So winning at Texas A&M, that gets you 18 wins. Uh, win at South Carolina, although that one – that, that game kind of worries me uh, just because it is a, a tricky team. Frank Martin, he's been known to, to pull one out of his hat like that before. And so, uh, but you win that game, that gives you 19 wins. Uh, who knows if the Texas A&M home game gets made up, but that would be 20. And then you'd like to think if you could split the LSU and Alabama games, you know, that, that puts you in a good spot. But even if you lose both of them, I, I think that would be enough. You know, you might win a game at, uh, Nashville just to just to be safe but uh, I think that would put them in a really good spot if they just take care of business with what they're supposed to do here down the stretch. The Texas A&M game is slated for 7 30 on Saturday down in College Station. So far I haven't heard anything about the game potentially getting moved um, for any reason. We talked to Eric Musselman later today so he should know more but you haven't heard anything right I haven't heard anything but you know it would make sense if they would just move this game up to Fayetteville they should all, yeah all the there's no reason for Arkansas to go down there especially when the likelihood that this next game gets actually played yeah I mean it, and it's plus I mean it's all the power issues down there I know you're you know you've got your folks down in the Houston area uh, that are dealing with it. I mean, it just seems like it would be a logistical nightmare uh, with that. I just feel like it would be the safest thing to do to, and most responsible thing to do for the public uh, to just, you know, I saw where uh, their arena down at, at College Station, they've actually opened it up to be like a, a warming center where people like that don't have power can go and stay there to, you know, just get warmth. Uh, might as well just keep it like that and have the the basketball team come up to Fayetteville and play here at Bud Walton like they were supposed to do a couple weeks ago. Apparently it's supposed to spike up to like 43 degrees here on Saturday. And so I'm sure it's at least something similar down in the college station area. So by Saturday, it should be okay. But the power outages in Texas have just absolutely blown my mind. But like, you know, like I texted you, do I need to to shovel out my driveway when I leave. Like I've never had to deal with that before. So <laughs> it, when you think about that, like this is a, a very historical event down in Texas. And I don't think some people realize like 
how big a deal it is. Like I had never in my entire life seen snow in Houston, except when like at my middle school, I think they brought in like a fake snow company one time and the snow melted very quickly. <laughs> it's very, very weird. I mean, and I know uh, my wife, uh, they, her company has a, a place down in just outside like Brownsville, which is like right down next to Mexico. And they had to shut down because of snow. I mean, when, when, when is the last time it snowed in Mexico? That just is crazy to me. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that it does warm up and that helps kind of the infrastructure and it makes everything return to normal, uh, not just for basketball and, and baseball purposes, but uh, just everyday life. The A&M game in general doesn't worry me. Uh, they've, they've had so much time off. I can't imagine that it's really that good of a thing for them. Like their offense was struggling really badly, and I don't think that you get a whole lot better without playing in-game situations. So, And with the way that the Razorbacks are playing right now, I mean, Justin Smith, two really good games in a row. Debo Davis having his biggest game of his collegiate career so far. It just seems like it'd be a real, real big fluke if something was to happen on Saturday that we're not expecting. And, you know, Musselman even said last time, whenever, you know, Florida was coming into town that uh, it, sometimes when you see a big layoff like that, it benefits a team, Uh, but that was not the case. Excuse the baby, everybody. Uh, yeah, sorry. I'm stuck at home with my one-year-old, uh, as I'm sure many of you can relate uh, that have kids during all this snow stuff. But uh, it, it ended up not being a good thing for Florida. Uh, they came out cold. Uh, took them a little bit to get going. Uh, hopefully, that's the same thing we see from Texas A&M. The Razorbacks start the season down in Arlington, or they are supposed to this weekend. The the, uh, showcase has already been moved back one day, so it was supposed to start on Friday, and now it's um, Saturday through Monday. Um, If you have tickets to that, I believe the Saturday and Sunday tickets are the same, so you'll see different opponents than you expected, but you'll still get to get into those games, and then um, everything just kind of shifts over, and so I guess it I'm not sure how many people will be there on Monday, but uh, it'll still be some really, really good games. And um, it won't be televised, but it is on Flow Baseball. Um, They have a $30 monthly subscription. So, you know, in my head, just think about it. It's it's $10 to watch a game of Razorback Baseball at home. And it's, it's a good slate of games. And you can watch, obviously, all the games on Flow Baseball, not just the Razorback games, but... Arkansas takes on Texas Tech at 7 p.m. on Saturday, Um, Texas and Arkansas at 7 on Sunday, and then TCU and Arkansas at 6 p.m. on Monday. Hutch, just a really big opener for the Razorbacks, obviously. Um, How does Dave Van Horn sound about this, this opening showcase? I think he's he's looking forward to it. I think he's excited about it. It's something that he's not used to doing. Usually they uh, welcome a team like Eastern Illinois into town and, and have them uh, beat up on them for the first three games of the season. Uh, usually it's super, super cold at at Walker Stadium, but uh, they get them in. And now they're getting ready to go to a, a huge, you know, stage to, to play at, you know, with it being at the, the home of the Texas Rangers, you know, brand new stadium. It's where they played the World Series 
this past year. So uh, really cool from that standpoint. Uh, really cool that you're playing, you know, all, all six teams that are in this event, you know, are, uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State are the other SEC teams in this. It's a basically a Big 12 SEC challenge. And uh, it's all six teams are ranked in the top 10 of a, at least one of the polls. Uh, so it is a, a big-time challenge, and Dave Van Horn even said this morning that uh, you usually learn from your team as to, you know, what you need to work on, you know, when you actually play real games, and they're definitely going to get that uh, this weekend uh, because you're playing, you know, top competition. It's going to be basically like an SEC weekend right from the jump, and that, that's going to be tough. We did already talk about the power outages, but from what we have heard, and I have folks – um, plugged into this flow baseball so if if it does get canceled I think we'll hear about it um, pretty quickly on hogbeat uh, but the issue is there are a lot of homes getting power back right now so by Saturday they should be in a good spot um, I have seen that there are um, you know boil water notices which I'm not 100% sure I, I would need to google what that is if I got one of those I think it just means like the water is not especially potable or you shouldn't in, drink it straight from the faucet you gotta boil it yeah, first you gotta to boil it, it first so I could see why that would be an issue but by Saturday it just seems like at the rate I mean it was really slow at first 72 hours without power is by no means good uh, but now that the power is coming back on, it seems like it's coming faster and faster. So that's really positive news for this weekend. Um, Dave Van Horn didn't sound like he was worried about a cancellation, did he? No, I was actually the first. I got called on first to ask him a question today. And that was the first thing I asked is, you know, are you still confident that the event's going to happen? And he seems to think so. He, he thinks that it's going to be. Uh, go on as scheduled but he said that could always change you know later today so as of right now all systems are go I know you were excited because your uh, rotation for the weekend on the mound was 100% correct so so just walk me through those three starters yeah I mean it's uh, it's exactly as I predicted like you said uh, it's going to be Zebulon Vermillion game one uh, Peyton Paulette game two and Lyle Lockhart game three. Uh, it's, as I, it, it's kind of what I expected. It's a little bit interesting because you know, Zebulon Vermillion last year was the uh, closer, a really good bullpen arm for, for Arkansas. And uh, now he's making the transition to a starter role. We'll see how it goes. Arkansas fans have, have seen this before. Sometimes it's gone well. Sometimes it's, it's been a little bit of a struggle. I mean, Zach Jackson comes to mind. A very, very good closer. And then he struggled a little bit uh, when he made the transition to starter the next year. Uh, so hopefully Vermillion can, can give them a, a solid game one start against a very good Texas Tech team. Uh, Peyton Paulette, he's probably the one I'm most excited to see pitch on the weekend. He's a, a second-year guy. He was a true freshman last year. Uh, so he's listed as a freshman again this year. It's the second year. Uh, his velo has made a big jump. Uh, he, he's gone from throwing in the low 90s to now in the mid-90s consistently, uh, even touching 97, 98. So he's a big arm, uh, and I'm, I'm really anxious to see how he can do. He's, a, he's an Arkansas kid from Benton, uh, so I, I'm very, very excited to see what he can do. And then Lyle Lockhart, he was kind of the wild card. I, I wasn't exactly sure who was going to be the Game 3 starter, uh, there were several different options. I, I almost projected Jackson Wiggins, the, the true freshman, 
because uh, he's got an absolute cannon for an arm. And I've just heard very, very good things uh, from people who've, who've seen him pitch this preseason. And Dave Van Horn even acknowledged it today, saying, you know, maybe if we just went straight on how the, they performed in the preseason practices, they maybe should have gone with Wiggins. But I think they liked the, the veteran experience of Lockhart. Uh, he's also a lefty. So that's a little bit different. Uh, you know, the first two guys are righties and, and uh, you know, Wiggins is a righty as well. Uh, so he gives you a lefty. He's a guy that was a Friday night starter down at Houston. He's a grad transfer, been there, done that. He's not going to get, you know, wowed by the stage. Whereas a freshman, you always kind of worry, you know, not only is it your first outing, but you're going to be going up against the, one of the top ranked teams in the country, uh, TCU, in, in that first game. So uh, I, I like how the, the rotation looks right now. I also don't think that's what the rotation is going to look like at the end of the season. I don't even know if it's going to be like what it looks like by the time SEC play rolls around in four weeks. Has Dave Van Horn mentioned, you know, the differences between this staff and, and the last group? And does he think it's a, a better group of arms than last year's? I think the biggest difference is that there's just more of them. I mean, they've got a lot more depth this year than they did uh, last year or any year, really. And it's all because of the, the shortened 2020 season. You had uh, shortened MLB drafts, uh, eligibility relief. And so you've got guys coming back that you didn't expect to be back. You know, Zebulon Vermillion probably would have been drafted last year if it was a normal year. Uh, Cole Ramage probably would have been drafted and be gone. Uh, Kevin Copps might not be back. You, you might not have gotten Jackson Wiggins to campus. He might have gotten drafted straight out of high school. So you've got all these arms that you didn't necessarily expect would be back. So that's really the biggest difference. You know, they don't really have a true, like, you know, there is no Blaine Knight. There is no Isaiah Campbell. There is no true number one Friday night ace as of right now. One of those guys could develop and be that. Uh, but right now it's, it's so that way that it's kind of similar to last year. Cause you didn't really know. I mean, Connor Nolan was your, your number one guy and he pitched really well. I think people forget how well he pitched in, in his four starts. Uh, but you know, now he's going to be coming out of the bullpen opening weekend. Uh, so I think that kind of shows you they've, they've got so much talent uh, that, you know, these other guys have just performed better than, than them right now, him and, and pa uh, Patrick Wicklander as well, who, were in the starting rotation as true freshmen on a team that made it to Omaha. So I think that should tell you right there that the depth is uh, a lot better than what it has been in years past. So looking at the bats, where, where's the power coming from in this lineup? Uh, you got a one through nine, honestly. Uh, I, I think this is going to be one of the top offensive teams in the SEC, which should make it one of the top offensive teams in the country. Uh, they've got, I mean, four of their nine starters are first-team All-SEC preseason. Uh, you know, with, with Casey Opitz behind the plate, even though he's not necessarily known for his bat, I think he's going to be capable uh, as a hitter this year. Uh, then you got Matt Goodhart as a DH. Could also maybe play first base if his shoulder is healthy enough. Uh, then you also have Christian Franklin in center, who's a preseason All-American by multiple outlets. Uh, and then Robert Moore, uh, being he's now old enough to be a, an actual freshman in college you know he was playing last year when he was supposed to be a senior in high school and played really well he's also a preseason all sec and even i think he's a preseason all-american by one outlet so uh, really good you know lineup from that perspective and you also got other guys that you know are, are in the lineup that i think are gonna be really good caden wallace uh, the true freshman from greenbrier uh, he is 
was a top 25 recruit in the country, made it to campus, uh, naturally a third baseman, but he's going to probably be starting in right field. I think he has the potential to have a very, very good freshman season, similar to what we saw from Heston Kerstad and Casey Martin a couple of years ago. I think you mentioned on Twitter, I, I saw uh, there's still some uncertainty about first base. What are, what are the options there? So first base, I mentioned Goodhart. You know, it's all about his shoulder. Uh, right now, it doesn't look like he's going to be at least an everyday first baseman. I think we probably see him at first base a little bit this weekend just to, to get him some experience. Definitely next weekend when they play Southeast Missouri here at home. Uh, but my guess is it's pretty much going to be a battle between Brady Slavens and Colin Smith. Uh, both those guys are transfers. Brady Slavens began his career at Wichita State before going JUCO and was putting up just video game numbers uh, at his junior college last year when the season got cut short. I think he had like 14 home runs in 20 games or something insane like that, hitting well over 500. Uh, and I think he's got a very, very good bat. I was a little bit concerned with Brady Slavens, you know, making the move to first base. He's a, a, a natural third baseman. He played outfield at Wichita State. Uh, got to see a couple of the preseason scrimmages, though, and he looks natural and, and fine and smooth over at first base, so it, it sounds like he's okay defensively. Uh, but Colin Smith, he has uh, maybe even outperformed what my expectations were for him. He's a former all-conference player at East Tennessee State who transferred to Arkansas uh, before last season, so he had to redshirt, and now he's, he's playing one final season here at Arkansas, and uh, he's, he's got a really good bat, uh, maybe – I think he's, he's got some power, but he also, I think, would maybe hit for a higher average than Brady Slavens, and I think they also feel comfortable with him defensively because he's played all over the infield in his career. I think he's started games at second, short, third. I don't know if he's ever started a game at first, but, I mean, if he's got that kind of versatility, you'd think that uh, he'd be okay over there as well. So uh, some, some good options uh, there at first base, you know, some traditional uh, kind of first baseman who, who swing the bat really well and have a lot of power. I don't know how much research you've already done on the opponents this weekend, but are there any like huge names at Texas, Texas Tech or TCU that people should know about? Yes, yeah, so I actually looked it up this morning. Uh, there are going to be in this event, you know, including Ole Miss and Mississippi State, who Arkansas won't play this weekend, but will in, in SEC play, obviously. Uh, there are 12 guys, 12 different fit players that are on the various preseason All-American teams. Uh, so it, it's going to be a, a loaded event. A lot of these guys are pitchers. Uh, Texas Tech actually has an outfielder and a shortstop who are both uh, preseason All-Americans. Uh, shortstop Cal Conley at Texas Tech and outfielder Doug Noose, I believe is how you say his name. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but, you know, those guys are, you know, preseason All-Americans. So you got you to watch out for them. But, I mean, those teams are – all three teams are, are traditionally they recruit well. Uh, they are, you, we talked about it earlier, you know, Texas, you know, it's such a large state that they've got such talented players in football, basketball, baseball as well. And so they're, they're able to bring in talented players year in, year out. And like Arkansas, they, they benefited from the shortened drafts. They benefited from uh, the eligibility relief. They've got some old guys back that they maybe didn't expect to have back. Uh, so it, it's going to be a, a there is a very good chance that Arkansas could go 0-3 at this event, but there's also a good chance they could go 3-0, and and probably a more likely scenario is they go 2-1 and or 1-2. and Yeah, I was going to ask, like, is, do you have any 
strong feeling about which games they could take this weekend or just going to see what happens? As of right now, I don't really have any super strong feelings. I need to develop some because I've got to make my uh, season predictions, uh, hopefully have those up on Hogbeat by Friday. Uh, but they, it, it's going to be tough. I, I could, I could, I think they're at least going to, I don't think they're going to go 0-3. I'll say that. I think they're going to find a way to win a game or two. Uh, I would be shocked if they went 3-0. I'd be shocked if they went 0-3. Uh, that's kind of a safe thing to say, but it's just kind of, you know, when these teams are so talented and so good, uh, you know, it, it's kind of what happens. And also I, I caution people, don't get too excited or overreact to the results of this tournament. Uh, all you have to do is look back in 2016, Arkansas went 3-0 and at the Shriners Classic down in Houston, and that was the year Arkansas lost like 11 straight games in the year and missed the postseason entirely. Uh, then there was another year uh, they went to a, one of these early season tournaments, and they went 0-3, I think it was in 2015, maybe the year before, they went 0-3, made it to Omaha. So uh, you cannot put too much stock into these early season tournaments. Uh, more so than, you know, just the, the actual results or whatever. I mean, you're going to lose some, you're going to win some in these non-conference games. Uh, but you just got to look at the, you got to look at the big picture. That's what Dave Van Horn does. He looks at the big picture. Is there any glaring flaws that show themselves during these games? That's what you got to avoid is that kind of thing. Uh, you may lose them all, but it's, it's not going to be the end of the world. We mentioned it before. You can catch all those games uh, with a Flow baseball subscription, uh, but it will also, you know, be on the radio broadcast with Phil Elson and the usual gang. So you can listen live if you choose to do that. And I'm sure Hutch will have some updates on the troughs. So you can follow along with us there. Um, the SEC announced that the Razorbacks will have nine televised games this season. Sounds like a, a fair amount. I think it's even on the high side. So a lot of Razorbacks in primetime, all those games are on SEC Network. Um, and then the rest you can catch online, right? All, all Razorback baseball games, you can do it with the uh, ESPN Watch app, right? Yeah, all the home games. I don't know about the uh, Louisiana Tech series down in Reston. Right. I'm not sure what that's going to be. Usually, like, Cox Sports, you know, picks that up. Um, but, the, yeah, all, all the home games will be streamed online. And if you haven't figured out how to work that yet, then I don't <laughs> know if you've, there's any hope for you to ever figure it out. <laughs> Anytime you want to try us out, you can use code HAWGS30. That's HOGS30 for 30 days free on HOGBEAT. Or you can just jump right in, get a monthly or an annual subscription, get all your Razorback coverage dreams answered on hogbeat.com and on the trough with, you know, hourly updates from Hutch and I on whatever subject you might want to talk about. Hutch, uh, the spring football game, I believe, is being slated for about mid April, which means we are about a month away from the spring practices actually beginning. The NCAA, uh, as well as extending the dead period, they did just add a couple of hours that the uh, football teams can can work on actual football-related stuff during the week. So they went from eight to ten hours. I'm sure that's just a little perk they're they're throwing out to these teams. 
uh, but they can now do a little bit more film or a little bit more workouts. Um, and all, all 15 practices will be spread out over the course of about a month. Um, it's, it's good to start thinking about football, but it's a little bit hard to get in the right mindset, especially right now when it's freezing cold outside and there's just not a lot of uh, momentum with football right now because of how well the basketball team is doing and of course baseball starting up. Yeah, this is this is always a really tough time of year for for people like us who <laughs> cover all the sports because you've got baseball going, you've got basketball going, you know, ideally well into March uh, and then football practice is, is starting up and so it is it is a challenge and it is weird. I, I mean, as I sit here looking out my window at, you know, five, six, seven inches of snow, uh, it's hard to think about spring football. I know Florida's already started. Coastal Carolina started its spring ball like in January or something. It was crazy. Uh, so it is, it is right around the corner. I know people are really excited. It's going to be a, probably more uh, – people are going to be more interested in this spring ball than, than, than recent years because, one, last year there was no spring ball. And then also you throw in the quarterback competition and, that always is a good recipe for, for a lot of interest. I am concerned, though, because with the coronavirus and everything, they, you know, shut us out of practices during the regular season. I really don't think that they're going to let us in to see much. And so as excited as people are to know what's going on in the building and on the practice field, like, I'm worried we're just not going to know. They might let us watch like 20 minutes of a practice or something. You know, they did that for, for fall camp. Uh, they had us stand in our little six-foot box and uh, couldn't you – know, had to be masked up, obviously, and all that good stuff. But we got to see a little bit. They didn't really show us much. I mean, it was kind of pointless if we're being 100% honest. Uh, but, yeah, I, it would be nice if they would open stuff up and, you know, let us watch a scrimmage or two. I mean, that would be cool. And then, uh, luckily, the – the spring game, you know, the red-white game will be open uh, to fans, you would assume, uh, probably. Well, Florida isn't opening there, so. Really? Um, well, they're also using the um, Gator Stadium as a COVID-19 vaccine site. So there's a lot of foot traffic in and out of there, and I guess they're probably just going to continue using that as a vaccine site. So I just, I mean, I don't think Arkansas is planning to do that, but they do tend to lean towards like not having fans around during these times. So if they do let people in, I have a feeling it's going to be, you know, very low capacity. They're not probably that many people show up anyways. Yeah. They're probably looking for excuses to not let fans come. I mean, I assume they're still going to televise the game. I, I mean, surely, I mean, that's, that's a huge moneymaker for, for the SEC network, but uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, I, who the heck knows what, you know, the virus looks like in mid-April, and that's a couple of months away at this point. So I guess we'll have to all sit back and wait. Obviously, the most intriguing storyline as we get closer to spring football is the quarterback battle. Uh, there's – it's really a toss-up at this point. K.J. Jefferson obviously has a bit of a lead as the guy that started a game in this past season. So – he has a leg up, but it's not very much, in my opinion. I mean, it's also worth, worth noting that when he did start, it went really well. I mean, they put up like 48 points. Uh, he threw for a bunch of yards. You know, maybe not the best completion percentage in the world, but better than 
uh, you know, maybe what we saw the previous two years before Sam Pittman got here. Uh, so uh, I, I think it's KJ Jefferson's job to lose personally. Uh, I don't know enough about Malik Hornsby to really have an opinion one way or the other. That's another negative aspect of not being able to watch practice because yeah, I didn't get to see what he really looked like. I mean, you get to see him throw routes on air, but you know, what, what's that really tell you? So uh, I think, I think KJ is, is the kind of leader in the clubhouse and then we'll see if he can, you know, maintain that position through spring ball and going into fall camp. I, I'm anxious to see when they actually name a starter, you know, do they, they do it early like they did this previous year where there was an obvious choice in Felipe uh, or do, does it, you know, take a little bit longer into fall camp before there's actually a true number one guy. One thing about this offseason that has been, I think, a real positive for Arkansas because I don't think they can afford to shed a lot of players. Um, there have only been like four transfer portal entrants um, since the end of the season. So that's a pretty good number. Uh, it might be five now because of Julius Coates, but you had Spivey, McClellan, uh, Coates, and I think uh, maybe a couple others that didn't Shamar really. Shamar Nash. Yeah, Shamar Nash, but guys that didn't contribute. So um, you did lose a couple guys, but if the overall locker room is improved by not having drama or whatever it is, then I think that's a good thing. But you also, of course, can't afford to get rid of so many non-contributors that uh, you run into the position where you're giving away scholarships. So I think that they did a good job this offseason balancing it. And I think that they need to continue that after the spring. Like there might be kids that feel like they're not getting enough playing time in the spring. And so they just want to go and jump out there. But the transfer portal is a mess. There are hardly any guys getting picked up at this point. So, um, I think if Sam Pittman can keep them here, it, it'd be better off for them anyways. Yeah, I think so as well. And I mean, I, I, I hope that the, the transfer portal mess that you referenced there is being publicized enough. I've seen a lot of national media pick it up now. And, you know, there's, I mean, just a, a total numbers crunch right now that uh, there's not enough scholarships out there for these guys. I mean, there's hundreds and maybe even thousands of players that are in that portal and are going to have nowhere to go because, you know, they've probably already been replaced at their old school and there's no new school for them to go to. What are they going to end up doing? And so hopefully guys will, uh, you know, stick it out and, you know, go from there. It's especially sad when it's younger players because normally, you know, you could go JUCO and get picked up. But now that there are so many immediately eligible transfers, the JUCO ranks are not going to be as heavily recruited as they were before. Um, so, it's tough. Like if I was a young player at Arkansas, like Spivey, I don't know. Um, maybe he got the vibe that it just wasn't going to work out here. So he ended up going to East Mississippi. But um, if I'm like a young offensive lineman at Arkansas, I'm a hundred percent staying at Arkansas and developing as long as I can under Sam Pittman until I'm confident that I've gotten good enough to go actually play and get picked up at another school because otherwise uh, you're, you're really not setting yourself up well um, to actually play anywhere else. Like hardly any guys are getting uh, picked up by the power five level at this point. There just aren't that many scholarship spots available. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like at a position like offensive line or defensive line, that's a spot where you want uh, to develop a little bit more. I mean, it's hard to to go in and contribute right away. I mean, you have to be almost a a can't-miss prospect to do something like that. Uh, Whereas a running back, you know, I could kind of understand where Spivey's coming from. He's been here for two years. Uh, You know, the coaching staff that recruited him was gone. Uh, so you now you had to you know worry about the new coaching staff where do you fit in there he probably saw the guys that they were recruiting you know he saw how well Traylon Smith played and so he just kind of saw the writing on the wall and uh, since he you know redshirted his first year here and this year doesn't count he's still got a couple of years where he can go to a juco and you know East Mississippi uh, people remember them being on the last chance you uh, maybe he can go find himself a uh, you know a home after going the juco route uh, but yeah, I mean, if I'm an offensive lineman, I'm wanting to, to, to learn from Sam Pittman as long as I possibly can. Hutch has bounced to go talk to Eric Musselman, who is previewing the Texas A&M matchup. So go check out that interview with Eric Musselman on Hogbeat in a bit. Um, I am here to catch you guys up on recruiting because it has been a busy few weeks. The Razorbacks have been doing virtual visits. Um, trying to get some things sorted out with guys. Uh, the NCAA has now extended the dead period, which started last March. Uh, they've extended it all the way until May 31st. They said that the time between now and April 15th, when they said that they might end it before, they're going to use that time to figure out how to end it. So I don't know what they've been doing for almost the past year, but they still haven't figured it out. The only thing I can think of is that they are just waiting for vaccines to be readily available so they can encourage student athletes to um, get vaccinated and, and get their family vaccinated before traveling the country to go check out these schools. It's a responsible message, but these kids, I mean, something's got to give. Uh, these Prospects are making big decisions with little information. Um, It worked out in Arkansas's favor this weekend, though. They landed a four-star running back out of Ellenwood, Georgia, which is uh, south of Atlanta, from Cedar Grove High School, Rashad Dubinian. He is rivals number 192 in the nation. He is the fourth-ranked all-purpose back. Uh, He is a really quick, shifty running back. You look at him uh, and you watch his tape, and it really does scream four-star at you. It's very obvious. Uh, He's 5'10", 173, so not the biggest guy, but he looks like he can add uh, a good amount of size onto his frame, and I'm not sure he's still in that 173 range. He might have added some weight, but he plays for a pretty good team down in Cedar Grove. He has a couple other teammates as well that have Arkansas offers. One has already cut the Razorbacks from contention. He's a four-star defensive tackle, Christian Miller, but uh, he also has a defensive end teammate, Joshua White, uh, who put Arkansas in his top six and is now getting closer to a decision. So, Dubinian picking the Razorbacks might have uh, a residual effect on his four-star teammate, uh, Joshua White. So, you know, pay attention to how that goes over the next few weeks because he is now trying to announce in April. 
I talked to Dubinian's former coach at Cedar Grove, who just took a job at Crisp County, the former high school of Razorback 2021 signee, uh, Chris Paul. I talked to Miguel Patrick, and uh, he was really great to talk to. He has coached Dubinian uh, for three years now, and he just had nothing but good things to say about him, both on and off the field. Says he's someone that, you know, does things the right way. He's a vocal leader, uh, and he just said that the Razorbacks are getting a really, really good kid who loves football. Uh, he said the biggest thing that he has – seen Dominion grow through in the past three years of watching him and he has just loved um, watching tape and getting involved in the game plan and knowing you know how to break down the other team's defense to run all over them. Uh, I mentioned he's an all-purpose back so he is both you know a running back and a very skilled uh, wide out. He'll, he'll go out there and catch passes as well as well as catching passes in the backfield so uh, a real versatile player the Razorbacks are getting and kind of a big exclamation mark right when they need it because it's been a long time since Arkansas has gotten a commit. He is the fourth commit in the class. Um, the class is now ranked uh, number 20 in the nation, but there are quite a few teams who are now, you know, starting to stack up commits and it would be good if Arkansas could um, keep up in that pace. Uh, the, the three commits that they had prior to Dubinion, um, they all committed like in the summer, like before their junior season. So um, you have DeWitt, tight end, Dax Courtney, uh, Greenland defensive tackle slash defensive end, J.J. Hollingsworth, and South Carolina uh, from Byron's High School, uh, Eli, Henderson, Eli Henderson, who is a, a center. Um, so that was a long time ago. Really good for the Hogs to get a boost um, and potentially, you know, also work their way in with another teammate over there at Cedar Grove High School. I haven't even mentioned it yet, but the huge connection there at Cedar Grove is Jimmy Smith, the Arkansas Razorbacks uh, running backs coach. Uh, he was the head coach at Cedar Grove just three seasons ago, won a state championship there, and he's had a really good, strong relationship with Dubinian for, for many years now. So when, when Coach Patrick and uh, Dubinian were looking at all these options, he has options, you know, he's got an, uh, an Auburn offer, a Baylor offer, Florida State, Florida, Georgia Tech, Kentucky, Michigan, Ole Miss, Nebraska, Tennessee, really, really strong offer list. He wasn't offered um, by Georgia like his teammates, but a really strong offer list. He chose Arkansas because he knew that coach Jimmy Smith was going to take care of him on the hill. Uh, that was a really big part of it, and uh, he wants to play in the SEC at the highest level. So really big pickup for the Razorbacks for commit number four. Not quite sure who the next commit could be, but I think they're starting to heat up on these in-state prospects. And the extension of this dead period, I think, goes to only benefit the Razorbacks as far as the in-state prospects are concerned. They've already started putting the squeeze on these kids, and they're trying to get some guys to jump on board and they want 
they want prospects who really want to be at the University of Arkansas. So even with these in-state kids, if, if they want to go visit another program uh, before they make a decision, um, I guess that kind of shows that they're not 100% sure that Arkansas is, is where they want to be. And maybe that's not uh, who the Razorbacks want to take. But guys like James Jointer, uh, Marion Harris, Andrew Chambly, I think those are, those are guys that, you know, they have expressed deep, deep interest in being Razorbacks. Like they talk about it being a dream come true, getting an offer. So guys like that, it seems like uh, the more pressure they have on them from the coaching staff and the longer uh, they have to wait to go take other visits, it seems like it's only a matter of time before decisions start coming in. Uh, for a guy like James Jointer, uh, Dubinian did just commit, but I think that Jointer is a different enough uh, running back that they would be totally fine um, taking both. That running back's room is going to get a little full, I think, but Traylon Smith could have a big year and he could be off, and then so they would need to uh, replace him and um, it doesn't hurt when uh, you, you take a four-star and then a really highly recruited in-state running back as well. Um, I talk about all the Razorbacks recruiting needs for this class, and I even put up an offensive line big board today. So you can go check that out on hogbeat.com. Quick plug. Uh, if you want to learn more about me and how I got to Arkansas and to Hogbeat and the Rivals Network, uh, Ty Richardson, you guys all know him and love him. Uh, he had me on the Trusting the Process podcast the other day. So you can go check that out. I uh, share my story coming from Houston, uh, daughter of a, a mother from Russia. So I think it's a little unique. You guys will enjoy listening to that. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour. It's a huge weekend for Razorback sports. Uh, the Diamond Hogs are down in Arlington. They'll face Texas Tech, Texas, and TCU Sunday through Monday, 7 p.m. on the weekends, and then 6 p.m. on Monday. And then the Razorbacks uh, are at Texas A&M this weekend, uh, hopefully going for an eighth straight SEC win, uh, which Hutch has the stat on Hogby. You can go check that out. But it's been a long, long time since that has happened. Uh, so a huge weekend in Razorback sports. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch us next week on the Hogbeat Hour.